Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to start with a show of hands question today, so prepare yourself. Hands in the air if you've ever taken a driving test. That is a lot of people. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've ever passed it. I just want you to think about the very first one you took. Hands in the air if you failed first time on your driving test. Still a fair few. One more, and then I'll I'll start this um, hands in the air thing. Hands in the air if there was a moment during that test that you knew you'd blown it. Yeah. I actually passed first time, um, but (laughs) I just wanted to feel good about myself at the start of the preach. Um, Now, actually, during my test, there was a moment that I convinced myself I'd failed. I I thought I'd blown it. And what happened is the instructor did the thing like when I tap on the, the dashboard, you've got to do an emergency stop. And so I was ready for it. He tapped. I did an emergency stop. I I performed the manoeuvre to perfection. Uh, The car came to uh, a great stop. And um, and then I drove off again with with my indicator on. And and then I was about half a mile down the road. And he said, Tom, turn your indicator off. And I was like, OK, OK. I've driven like a long way, indicating all the way. He's had to tell me. And I just convinced myself that that would be a fail. And I was just asking the rest of the way through that driving test, is there possibly any way back from this? And I didn't think there was. But in life, sometimes we can ask that same question. I don't know if you've ever asked that about a thing that you've done bigger than a driving test. Is there any way back after the thing that I've done? I don't know what mistakes you've made in your life. I don't know what your deep regrets are. I don't know what has happened But sometimes we reach that moment and we just think, this is too much. Surely I've blown it now. Surely it's game over for me. Last week, we were talking about King David's darkest moment in his life. It was a really bleak story. Um, I don't usually do this, particularly when it's me who preached, but um, do go and listen to the recording because it's quite uh, important what we talked about. But in David's darkest moment, he'd, uh, he'd abused his power, he'd raped Bathsheba, and he'd had Uriah killed. And after the sermon, I was chatting with Adam, and he said to me, you know, if this had happened today, David would have been cancelled. And that's exactly right, isn't it? That, that is what would have happened if a, a person with David's power had committed the deeds that David committed. He would be absolutely cancelled. Now, is that right? Is that what should happen to someone who does what David did? Or should there be a way back? Should he just be written off forever after doing terrible things? Or should there be a route back for him? I think this is a really important question to ask because... For all of us, there's stuff. Now, it might not be the same stuff that there was for David. Maybe, maybe it is the same stuff for some of us. But for all of us, there's stuff. For all of us, there's things that we've done wrong. There are regrets. There are sins. There are things that we've gone against God and we've hurt other people. Should there be a way back? Cancellation is absolutely brutal. I was reading the story of Alexi McCammond. And 
She was uh, given a job as editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue earlier this year until it came to light some tweets that she'd sent when she was a teenager. Now, uh, she's in her late 20s at the moment, so we're talking over 10 years ago. As a teenager, she'd sent some tweets. They weren't very good tweets. Um, and people at the, the company found out what she'd been tweeting and said, no, no, we can't possibly have someone who would say that stuff working for our company. And she ended up uh, not being able to take the job as a result of it. Now, those things were a long time ago. She's apologised for them many times since. She's come out on the record and said, that's not who I am. It's not what I think. I, I'm a different person now. And yet that hung around her neck seemingly forever. And when I read that story, I thought, you know what? I'm so glad that social media wasn't as big when I was a teenager as it is now. Because there was stuff that I thought, there were ways that I spoke, there were things that... I articulated then that I'm like, if those things were just tied to me forever, I would not want that. I would not want that to be a legacy. I like the idea that I can grow as a person. I like the idea I can become someone now who I wasn't then. It's a brutal thing. When I think about King David, my first reaction when I was preparing this sermon was I don't really want there to be a way back for him. I don't know if you've ever had that sense. I, I kind of wanted him to be just beaten into the ground and be like, David, you're, you're just done. Um, and then I thought this, right? Are we really as different to David as we think? Are, are, are we really so different? Because he started his story as a guy who was worshipping God. His heart was in a good place. In fact, God said, he's a man after my own heart. And then he went off track. He made mistakes. He did stuff he shouldn't do. But are we so arrogant as to think we could never do that? We could never go off track? We could never make mistakes? And I realised, wow, the, the, the track that David took, surely in me, in you, in all of us, there's the potential to go off track in that way. John Bradford was one of the English reformers in the 16th century, and he, he saw someone being brought out to the hangman gallows uh, and he just observed to one of his friends, there but for the grace of God go I. And so over this week I found myself shifting perspective from wanting David to be trampled into to the dust as a, he, he's the, the guy who's blown it so he should be punished to I really want there to be a way back for him. I want there to be hope. I want there to be redemption for David. Because if there's redemption for David then it means there's hope for you and me when we make mistakes and when we blow it. So I really do want there to be a way back. And that's what our last rule for life from the story of King David is. Number 10 in our 10 rules for life is this. There's always a way back. There is always a way back. No matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how far it seems you've gone from the path of God, there's always a way back. And that way, that path, that road back, it leads through repentance. The road back leads through repentance. So let's pick up the story uh, after David made his mistake. He has a conversation with his friend Nathan. And Nathan confronts David about what he's done. And uh, this is actually pretty rare. I was reading a story on the BBC website this week. Um, uh, 
because of the headline and because of what we were talking about last week, I clicked on the story, uh, and, it, and it's this person talking about how she was sexually harassed on the London Underground. But the bit of the, the story that caught my eye was what happened next, because she said she moved after um, her experience into a different part of the train where there were um, 12 to 15 men in this section of the train. And she thought, if I move somewhere a bit busier, maybe it will stop. But apparently, the guy followed her, and all but one of the men in this section of the train just looked away, didn't want to know, didn't get involved at all. But there was one person there who was willing to do something, who stood up and who challenged the person and who helped her. Really important to, to be that one. And in our story, there is that one. There's a man called Nathan who challenges David after his sin. And what he does is, it's a masterclass, really, because he doesn't just go in all guns blazing and say, David, I'm going to take you down, you're such a sinner. He just said, David, I want to tell you a story, right? There was this bloke, uh, and he was rich, and he had loads of sheep. And then there was a poor bloke who, he had one little lamb. And you know what the rich bloke did? He took the lamb from the poor bloke, and then he, he slaughtered it, and he ate it for himself. And David's getting mad, saying, this is not just, this isn't right. Let's find a man, let's punish that man, let's give him what he deserves, and Nathan says, Dave, mate, you are the man. It's you. This is a story about you. And all of a sudden, it's like the scales from David's eyes. They just fall. It's like, oh, my goodness. And it's the moment that he comes to his senses. It's the moment he sees what he's done. It's the moment his eyes open again. He's gone so far off track, but now he's realized it. And so he says this, I have sinned against the Lord. And he owns up. He confesses it. No kind of half-hearted thing. I don't know if you've been following the news about Yorkshire Cricket Club uh, in recent weeks, and the, there's a big racism scandal about the club. And the thing that I've noticed as I've seen more and more people get implicated in it is how bad their apologies are and how these people will come out and say, well, I'm sorry if anyone felt upset, and I'm sorry that they had to experience these things, and how rare it is for someone to just come out and say, hands up, I was in the wrong. I made a mistake, I blew it. You don't seem to get these apologies very often. But David, he's holding his hands up and he knows he's in the wrong. And the way he expresses his repentance is he writes a psalm. David uh, often interacted with God through songs and songwriting. And he wrote this, this song, Psalm 51. And we can think of this as David's private prayer gone public. So this is what David is saying to God in his moment of repentance. And I'm going to read the psalm. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open up and look at Psalm 51 with me or look on the screen if that suits you better. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's just think about what's going on for David here. There are two things that he wants in this psalm. This is what he's asking God for. And firstly, it's forgiveness. He wants to be forgiven for what he's done wrong. He starts by acknowledging his sin. I don't know if you noticed in verse 3, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's not trivialising what he's done. He's not coming into his prayer time saying, yeah, God, some stuff happened, no big deal, let's get back on track. He said, I'm carrying this. This is before me. This is in my mind. It's on my heart. It's in my soul. I've done this. He's not trivialising it at all. I wonder if you know what this is like. I wonder if you've ever done something that is just sitting there in your soul and you just can't shake this memory. I did this thing, whether it's recently, maybe a while ago. I had a moment um, few years after becoming a Christian and it seemed like every day when I was praying the same thing was coming to mind again and again and again and it was a memory of when I was at school and there was a girl in my class at school primary school who I just wasn't very nice to I'd say mean things to her I'd do mean things to her I'd pick on her quite a lot and this just kept coming to mind over and over again and Andy says this sin right now is just before me it's on my heart I need to do something about it. So I prayed about it, but I also, I just reached out to her, sent a message, apologised for what I'd done. I don't know if you know that same feeling. And also, David in verse 4, he recognises that his sin is sin against God. And it seems an odd verse, because he says, against you only have I sinned. And when you read the story, you think, that, that's not true, is it? You've, you've definitely sinned against Bathsheba. You've definitely sinned against Uriah. You've actually sinned against pretty much everyone in the nation because you're the king and you've got a responsibility here. But David says, against you only have I sinned. And I don't think he's trying to trivialise what's happened to other people. I think he just knows that uh, the kind of fountain of everything that's wrong, the, the place that everything started to go wrong was in his relationship with God. It says he turned away from God as he stopped looking to God that he was then led to do all the other things that he did. So he acknowledges his sin and then he asks God for mercy and for cleansing. Now, asking God for mercy is quite an important request because mercy is about undeserved favour. So he wants God to do something for him that he doesn't deserve. He knows that he doesn't deserve to be 
in God's good, God's good books. He's not entitled to be forgiven, but he asks for it anyway. Kristen Padilla says, if, if we get what we deserve according to our sins, then God is just and blameless. But mercy gives us what we do not deserve, as it acts not according to our sin, but according to God's steadfast love. So David's coming, like cap in hand, asking for mercy. He's coming with the humility of a broken man. And that's important. He's not a belligerent, proud, defiant spirit. He's a broken man, realising what he's done. And then he asks God to blot out his transgression. I don't know what that image of blotting out brings to your mind. Maybe if you've done like fancy calligraphy and written with fountain pens, you might have had the kind of experience where like a drop of ink goes on the paper in a place that it shouldn't go and you have to blot it out. You have to take away the thing that shouldn't be there. Or uh, apparently the same happens with makeup as well. I don't know if you have that experience, kind of blotting out a bit of makeup that's gone where it shouldn't have gone. But it's this image, isn't it? That there's something there. It shouldn't be there. God, would you take this away? He has to be washed thoroughly, to be cleansed. There's a sense that sin is defiling. It makes impure. It makes dirtiness upon him. And actually, a lot of people feel this after having sinned or, or having been sinned against, this sense of that there's an uncleanness here. And he's going to God say, would you cleanse me? I need your cleanser. I can't do this myself. But God, would you make me clean? And in verse 7, he goes a bit more explicit. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I don't know if you pick up on that reference to hyssop and what that's about. That's actually harking back to the Passover. So what happened in the Passover is there was a day of judgment on Egypt. So the people of Egypt at that time had oppressed God's people. So a judgment was coming upon them. And God had said to all the Israelites, what I want you to do is sacrifice a lamb, get the blood of that lamb on some hyssop, and then apply it to the doorposts of your house. And then when you're in that house, you'll be spared the judgment. And he's harking back to that. He said that this sacrifice of blood that can make me forgiven, that can make me spared. That's what I need to be cleansed. I can't just be cleansed by myself, but by a sacrifice of blood, it can happen. And that points forward to Jesus. He was the ultimate Passover lamb. He was the sacrifice of blood by which any of us can be forgiven, by which any of us can be cleansed. And you know when Jesus was on the cross, and you know they, they offered him vinegar on a sponge. Do you know what, what, what the stick was made of that they offered it on? It's made of hyssop. Purge me with hyssop and I will be whiter than snow. You know that old hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what David's asking for. And so whatever we've done, however far we've blown it, if we're asking that question, is there a way back? If we come to God repentant, if we come to God saying, God, I'm going to trust in you, would you forgive me? Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. So that's one thing that David asks for. But there's a second thing that he's asking for as well. He's not willing to leave it there and say, okay, I did some bad stuff. I want, you to, be, I want to be forgiven. And then I'll just go and crack on doing some more bad stuff. That's not what his heart is saying at all. He, the second thing he wants is to be changed. He wants to be different to how he was before. 
Just look at verse 10. Look at what he prays. Isn't this a powerful prayer? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think this was a verse that Rosie shared with us last week as we were worshipping. But it's such a, a powerful, staggering request. This gets to the heart of what repentance is all about. He said, I hate that. I hate what I did. I hate that I was the sort of person who'd do that. God, yes, forgive me. But do a work. Change my heart. Give me a new spirit. Make things right inside. So I don't want to do that anymore. There's a real desire for change. Have you ever thought about the difference between someone who's a hypocrite and someone who's a genuine follower of God who's repented? The hypocrite is pretending to be someone different. It's like they're one thing on the inside, but they're acting like they're something else on the outside. Whereas a repentant person, they're not pretending. They're becoming someone different. They're becoming someone new by God's power. They're being changed. Often, I think in us, we, we don't want to change enough. I've, I've noticed this sometimes in myself. I've noticed it in others as well. It's like, if we get caught doing something we shouldn't do... It's like, I want the consequences to go away. I want it just to be made right. But do we have that strong desire at the level of, I want to be different. I want to be a different person. Living God's way. David knows that that kind of change has to happen from the heart. If you want to change, don't just stop at external actions. It doesn't work. I've been around this cycle too many times where there's something, I want to see this change in my life. Okay, here's three things that I'm going to do. Here's someone who will keep me accountable for doing those three things. Let's see how it goes. It never works unless the heart changes, unless something deeper is motivating me to live the different way. It won't last for long. The best way I've ever heard this illustrated is some stories from Greek mythology. And forgive me if you've heard me tell them before. Um, it's about some creatures called the sirens. And these sirens, they're symbolic of sin and the way it affects our heart. They were demonic creatures. They could take a, a beautiful, alluring form. And they lived on this island. And they had this song, and it was enticing to anyone who would pass the island. So people would go over to the island on their boats. and It, it was all rocky ground, so uh, they'd get shipwrecked there. And then these sirens would devour them. And it was stories about the allure of sin in our lives. And in one of these stories, you've got this guy called Odysseus. And he, he kind of wants to get near. He wants to hear this song. There's something about it that's attractive to him. He doesn't want to be destroyed and drawn onto the island. So he says, right, here's what I want you all to do. Just tie me up with ropes. Just bind me to the mast of the ship. And then all the sailors, let's fill all their ears with wax so they don't hear it and they're not uh, led astray. And so he goes past the island and he's bound by these ropes and so he can't actually be led into the thing. But he's still, his heart has been captured. Every desire in him wants what is wrong. And it's only these ropes that are holding him in place. Whereas in a second story about the sirens, this is about Jason. And Jason has a different plan. He doesn't have any ropes binding him to any mast. He doesn't have any wax in anyone's ears. He just says to his mate Orpheus, come on, you come on this journey with me. And Orpheus was a musician, and he was the best musician in the whole land. And he said, Orpheus, what I want you to do is whenever those sirens start singing, I just want you to start playing. And you play 
a better song than what they're singing. You play sweeter music. You do something with your instrument that will so enrapture our hearts that what they're singing won't seem to have the same appeal. That's the change that we have as Christians. A changed life flows from a renewed heart. And a renewed heart is one set on this sweeter song, this beautiful vision of Jesus. Our heart is captured by something far more glorious than the allure of sin. I wonder, are we bold enough to go for that as a church? Are we, are we bold enough to go for not just using like external restraints to stop doing bad stuff, but to become so enamoured with Jesus, to become so captivated by his beauty, to become so um, in his presence all the time that our hearts are changed and our desires are changed. I think that's what God might be calling us to here, not just kind of conforming to some outward rules, but hearts that love Jesus. There was an old sermon preached a couple hundred years ago by Thomas Chalmers that he called the expulsive power of a new affection. I love that. I love good sermon titles, and that is, that's a great sermon title. The expulsive power of a new affection. A new affection for Jesus has a power to expel the stuff that had got a grip on our heart before. And that's how we are changed. That's what David longs for here in the psalm. That's why in verse 12 he says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Don't we want that? Don't we want the joy of the salvation that we've received? So God answers the prayer. David does get forgiven and he does get changed. And I think this is great news. It's wonderful news. And Nathan can say to David after he's repented, he says this, the Lord also has put away your sin. The Lord also has put away your sin. I wonder if there are people here today who need to hear those words. The Lord has put away your sin. This doesn't mean the sin doesn't matter. We've seen that it does. But what it does mean is that however egregious, however big the sins are, however bad we've blown it, there's always a way back. And if that's true for David, even after what he did, then we can be assured that the same's true for you and the same's true for me. And that's great news.